Our scripture this morning comes from James 1, 13 through 18. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved, for every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of God. Will you join me in prayer? God, we come to you this day full of the things of the world, full of burdens on our hearts and our minds, full of things that we need to do and checklists and the next steps for our day. And we ask that for this moment, you pause those thoughts, that you quiet our minds and our hearts and you open us up to the words you would have us to hear. May they fill us up. May they send us out. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. So I can say with all honesty that I have never thought about this phrase that we're going to talk about today of the Lord's Prayer. Never thought about it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I've given it no thought. I mean, there are phrases in the Lord's Prayer that are way more challenging, way more difficult, right? Ones that we puzzle over, that we wrestle with, the ones that we uh, reluctantly do, the ones that we ignore. There's lots of things. This is the, the line that I just sort of pass over because it doesn't seem to be that complicated, right? It doesn't seem to be that hard. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a pretty straightforward ask. But then I got to thinking, I wonder if maybe that's because I haven't thought about it. Because <laughs> things of God are never as simple as we like to make them to be. Lead us not into temptation. It's not that simple. So one of the basic tenets of the Bible is that God does not lead us to sin. That God does not cause us to sin. That God does not need to do any of those things. God does not need to try to help us sin. We're pretty good at doing it all by ourselves. God does not need to put stumbling blocks in our way. In fact, God commands us not to put stumbling blocks in people's way. God commands us not to give in to sin, not to go to places where we might be tempted to give in to sin. And the evidence shows that we are pretty good at finding those things all by ourselves. We do not need God to lead us into sin. We do not need God to lead us into temptation. Our hearts are pretty good at figuring all that out by themselves. It is from beginning to end of the Bible clear from the witness of Scripture that God does not cause temptation. And you might say, well, what about Job? And that's fair. But even in Job, God is not the one causing temptation. God is not the one causing the trial. God is not the one testing Job. That's temptation. That's evil itself. That's sin. God is not the one doing those things. And God puts some pretty strong boundaries in place, limiting what sin is allowed to do to Job. And so if the Bible is clear that God doesn't lead us into temptation, why do we need to pray for God not to lead us into temptation in the first place? 
the Bible tells us that God is not the one to lead us into temptation, then why are we praying to God not to do the thing that God already told us God wasn't going to do in the first place? God does not lead us into temptation. So why? And so I got to, I got to look into it a little bit. It turns out temptation is not in the Bible what we think of temptation being. We are too tainted by the Puritans who are way too concerned about your behavior. The Puritans who are way too concerned about whether you ate that cupcake for breakfast instead of the healthy breakfast you were supposed to. The people of the Bible thought of temptation as just part of one of the things that was evil. All of the things that are evil, everything that is evil, temptation is just a part of that. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you had too much chocolate, a slice of chocolate cake before you went to bed. It doesn't have anything to do with Anything that you consider temptation. It doesn't have anything to do with turning off the alarm clock in the morning and sleeping in. You know, the little things, the minor things that we are tempted by. That's not what they're talking about. Temptation instead is all of the things that belong to evil. All of the things that belong to evil. And so when we pray this part of the prayer, what we're asking is for God to lead us around evil, away from evil. We're asking for God to not allow evil to touch our lives, for God not to allow bad things to happen to our lives. And so the temptation we're talking about is to skip over the hard parts. We're asking for God to get us out of the test. Now, I don't even like using the word test because it puts things in our minds that I don't like. But I have seen in lots of places this phrase translated in, in modern languages, lead us not into the time of trial. Which I like a lot better. Lead us not into the time of trial. Lead us not into the time where we're going to be tried, where we're going to have to suffer through something, where something's going to be hard. God, can you just lead us away from those things? And that seems like a pretty fair prayer. In fact, I think most of us pray that every morning. God, could you just lead me through today? Can you make today good? It's a prayer of protection. It's a prayer of an ask for God to be good. Don't lead me into the evil. Don't let bad things happen to me, please. Thank you. No bad stuff. And it's a prayer that's as old as time. It's a prayer that's as old as the beginning of time, and we have been arguing about this since the beginning of time. Why do bad things happen in the first place? If God is so good, why do bad things happen? If God is a God who is all-powerful, then why do bad things happen? And there are generally two unsatisfactory answers to that question. The first is that God is assigning you a test. That God, like a heavenly teacher, has decided that you are not strong enough or good enough or wise enough or whatever it is, and so has given you a test. And the point of the test is for you to either pass or fail, and then based on that, God will decide whether you are saved or not. But that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because in the witness of Scripture, we see that God does not give people tests that they're going to fail. And if we're relying just on ourselves, then I promise you, you're going to fail every test. Every one of them. It turns out God does give us more than we can handle. Life gives us more than we can handle all the time. 
And if we are relying on just ourselves to take this test, then we will fail the test. And so why on earth would God give us a test that God knows we're going to fail? The Bible also tells us that God knows every hair on your head, that God meets you together in the womb of your mother, and if your God knows everything there is to about you, then why does God need to test you? God already knows what you're going to do. God already knows what your response to this test is going to be. God doesn't need to do that, and you don't need it either. There is no value to a God who sets tests before you, waiting for you to fail. And so that's an unsatisfactory answer to this question. So then there's unsatisfactory answer number two, which is that God doesn't test you, but God allows the test to happen. That God allows the trials to happen, that God willingly limits God's self so that you can go through this trial. That God, like a divine watchmaker, has put the earth into motion and then sat in the clouds and watched us like a TV screen. That God is passive. That God sits and just watches us mess up as much as we often can and eats, you know, the chocolate cake and watches us like a TV show. And we know that that's not true either. That God is active in history. That God, who comes to earth, does things. That God speaks over the water and the water rises and separates and makes a path for people to exit from slavery. We know that God speaks, that God sends God's spirit onto the desert and resurrects a land of dry bones and makes an army to protect his prophet. We know that God came to earth and lived among us to experience life as we live it and to redeem our lives and to make our lives holy. And a God who is just sitting back watching us passively allowing the world to happen does not sacrifice does not willingly come and sacrifice for us. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, when we say God is good, we mean almost exclusively loving. And by loving, in this context, we mean kindness. And so what would really satisfy us would be a God who said, of whatever we happen to like, what does it matter if they do it as long as they are happy? And we want, in fact, not so much a father as a grandfather, a senile, benevolent one who sits and smiles and says, I like to see these young people play. And his plan for the universe was simply to be truly, that it might truly be said at the end of each day that a good time was had by all. But that's not a fair picture of God. And it's not a realistic picture of God either. And again, scripture is clear about who God is, and that is that God is active and present in the world. And there's a very fine line in my mind between leading someone into something and sitting by and letting it happen in the first place. I don't think it gets God off the hook to say that God just sits by and lets it happen. That's just as bad as causing it to happen in my mind. So what is the answer to the question? Does God lead us into times of trial or not? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say that I have the answer any more than Augustine or St. Anselm or any of the 3,000 theologians who've been struggling with this question have had the answer. 
except for to say that I know that the God who is revealed in scripture is not so much interested as how we got into things as how we get out of them. The God who is revealed in scripture never promises that your life will be easy or that nothing bad will ever happen to you. In fact, God says that you will bear a yoke. I know that the world is broken. I know it's broken, and I know it's full of broken people who hurt each other. And I know that there are things for which we know the cause that we could do something about, and that there are bad things that happen for which there is no cause, or reason, or a purpose. I know it. I know that the world is broken, and I know that it's weighted down with sin, and I know that people are broken, and that they're weighted down with the need to fight off this sin, and I told you that I did not have a satisfying answer except to say, it's broken. The truth is, it's just not something we can crochet on a pillow. That we will experience heartache, and we can experience more than we can handle, and there are times that our hearts will break, and there are times and days which are filled with things that are harder than they should be. There are days and news stories filled with people who are angry at the world for no reason, who take it out on people who are innocently shopping for groceries. It's not satisfying, but it's the truth. And the world is broken. And God isn't it's idly sitting by and letting things happen. God is trying to fix the world, but he's trying to do it through you and through me. And we're just as broken as the rest of them. And so we're screwing it up, and that's just going to lead to more brokenness, but we're trying. God came in this flesh to redeem us, to give us the grace and the power to be able to step into the world and say, this is wrong. This is not the way that God meant the world to be. To stand up and to say that we don't know why bad things happen, but I know when they happen, and I know who is involved in the happening of it. God is leading us away from evil. God is delivering us from evil if we just follow. If we just take that path with God, instead of trying to so stubbornly fix things all on our own. I don't know why. I don't think I'll ever know why. It's on my list of questions when I get to heaven that I have forgotten. But I know who. And I know that God does not lead us into the valley of the shadow of death and then leave us there. I know that God does not leave us in the midst of bad things, but uses those things for good for people who love God. I know that God's rod and staff guides us into the paths of righteousness for God's namesake. And so I'm not afraid of evil. I'm not afraid of evil, and I don't need to know why. I just need to know who. That God is with me in the midst of that. And God, if we follow God, if we allow God to lead us, we allow God to deliver us, can redeem the world. I know who. Amen.